One of the things that I learned about trauma is that trauma was not as much impacting my choices as much as it was impacting my capacity to make a choice. And so with with a limited capacity, and I think of this very literally, as a chef, obviously, I measure everything. And so if I have eight ounces of liquid, but yet I need 16 ounces of that, then if my measuring cup only holds eight ounces, I'm either gonna have to repeat and pour, or I don't have the capacity to measure 16 ounces. And so for me, a lot of my quote unquote poor choices centered around the level of the capacity that I had to even make a choice. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Hello, friends, and welcome to my 23rd episode of the Altered Story Show and Healing Conversations with Tawana Show segment. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. For those that don't know me, my name is Michelle Renee Gutch, podcast show host and CEO founder of Altered Stories Ministry a faith-based nonprofit located in Overland Park, Kansas, that helps Christian women share their life-altering God stories so women around the world can hear them and be encouraged in their faith. Before we get started today, I have just a few quick updates. We are about 60 downloads from our end-of-year goal of 1,000 listeners to our podcast. Can you please help me out by sharing this podcast and our show link to those listeners that may have an interest? Also, if you can subscribe to the show, that would be God awesome. It's my hope and prayer in 2020 that our podcast listening audience will grow to over 10,000 listeners by end of year and that we will have a true fan base of up to 500 fans that will be supporting our mission of helping Christian women share their God stories so women across the world can hear them. Also, I'm excited to share, we have a new volunteer that will be helping us. Her name is Vicki Jo Sings, and she will begin sending out a monthly newsletter and email to our supporters that have subscribed to our show or website starting in January of 2020. We're also going to be adding more video to our podcast, and we hope to be able to host an Altered Stories Ministry Christian Women's Storytelling Conference in 2020, so stay tuned. Now, let's get this show started. Today, I'm excited to feature on the show our rock star Casey guest host and mental health therapist, Tawana Clark-Shepard, and special Casey and talented guest friend and former roomie, Sarah Grace Ashworth. They will be discussing in their conversation, Sarah Grace's God story of healing and mental health recovery from great trauma and loss that led to great transformation in her life. Hello, lovelies. How are you today? Hello, Michelle. Hello, Michelle. Hello. So, Tawana, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know one thing that you would want them to take away from what you're going to share today? Yes, I would be happy to. So, my name is Tawana Clark Shepherd, and I am a mental health therapist in the greater Kansas City area um, in private practice. Um, I have 
been doing counseling for at least a decade and been in private practice for the better part of the past probably five years. I have a great passion also to um, speak to women, to groups of believers, to teens, um, to anyone who is um, willing to hear what I believe the Lord has to say for a a season such as this. Um, I also do a whole lot of training and teaching on various topics related to leadership all around the greater Kansas City area. In addition to um, being blessed to have my voice and um, opinion, if you will, be heard through various broadcast media streams, just talking about the plight of mental health and trying to bring awareness and to remove the stigma. Thank you, Tawana. Sarah Grace, can you also introduce yourself and share what you would like the listeners to take away from what you're going to share today? One thing, please. Sure, Michelle. My name is Sarah Grace Ashworth. I am a professional chef by trade. Uh, I also have an extreme passion to work with both women and entrepreneurs alike in looking at the framework of uh, the economics, if you will, Uh, of food choices and financial health. Uh, Part of the story I'm going to share today has a lot to do with God's grace and faithfulness as it applies to freedom and forgiveness. I would say that the one scripture uh, that I would use to encourage today's audience formulates a lot of what I'm going to share today, and that comes from 3 John 1 and 2, which talks a great deal about uh, be prosperous and in good health, just as our soul prospers. So knowing as Tawana was mentioning earlier, the health of our mind and our will and our emotions, and to to look and see how both forgiveness, freedom nourishes that, but also how our physical health and food choices nourish our bodies, our minds, as well as our financial decisions. Okay, well, that sounds rocking, ladies. So, Sister Tawana, take it away. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sarah Grace. I want to just start with that. Thank you for your courage and entrusting um, me with your time and your story and the handling of all things connected to it in uh, this particular segment. I would just like to start with a statistic that I found really interesting as I was preparing for today's interview. I found that 33% of individuals who have survived one trauma usually have survived multiple traumas and a lot of times may not disclose. Now, that statistic is the Google, if you will, statistic. But then I went and did some digging in my own files, if you will, and I found that my personal statistic as a therapist actually lands more around 45 percent. It was it was a bit um, staggering for me because I'm just so you know busy being in the trenches, um, locking arms with my um, clients, if you will, and just trying to strengthen them or help strengthen them. Um, and be used by God to strengthen them to just be willing to, you know, rise up out of the, the weight of the traumas. That, that 
that hit me. So I just wanted to know just kind of how, how does that hit you when you hear that? Well, I certainly can probably subscribe to the 42%, kind of the higher odd. I know in my life, uh, it definitely plays true in part and parcel of what I want to share today and part of my story. Um, it aligns very well with those statistics because I would say that I have had multiple traumas, um, beginning with the death of my first son when he was three, having uh, witnessed his death um, by a drunk driver, and then subsequently, subsequently recognizing, first of all, I had no faith and I had no belief in a God at the time. Um, I was only 21 years old. And the circumstances, I would say, around both his death, his life, he was an adopted boy. Um, we were pending the adoption, so it had not been yet completed. And so subsequently, my only alternative that I felt was available to me was to medicate that pain and that grief. Um, the individuals that I had in my family were not ones who had a great deal of um, favor, I, I guess you'd say, for counseling. This was back in the early 80s, um, to where counseling was not nearly as available, maybe, or as abundantly pursued as it is today. Um, now, you fast forward um, in 2008, when I uh, was found by Christ, um, I've often heard people say that they came to Christ. I, I, on the other hand, did not come to Christ. Christ came to me. Um, I was not looking for Christ. Um, I had not yet acknowledged that I even needed Christ. Um, because from the outside looking in, it appeared as though I still had everything together. But I yet was absolutely um, nearly dead inside. Um, and of course, as we know as Christians, you know, obviously I was dead spiritually, but not knowing that yet. So go ahead. You said earlier that you had a thought around sharing your, you know, parts of your story so that people can understand better just how impactful um, your journey from that place you were just describing to where you are now is. Give us a just a, a quick, if you can, I know that, you know, it's really difficult, but if you could give us a quick overview, timeline-wise, of the traumas that you've suffered, that would be very helpful for our listeners. I'll just, I want to be brief because I still want to honor, obviously, my folks, but having grown up primarily in a, in a, a very, very active alcoholic home, approximately in 1980, I believe he passed in 85, and then fast forward to 2008, um, well, I guess you could also include in that um, the Oklahoma City bombing, which was in 1995, I believe. And being a, being a, a resident of Oklahoma at the time um, and being not necessarily directly involved in that, but I was a few blocks away from the blast. Um, so a lot of mayhem that occurred uh, triggered a lot of that um, previous trauma that had not yet been resolved. But fast forward and going to 208, um, which is really what I want to focus today's um, talk on, because this was when I was not only introduced to Christ and Christ came for me, my husband, um, subsequently, I was saved in June of 2008. Subsequently, in July, August, September, and October of those, of those preceding or those following months, um, my mother-in-law had passed away. My husband was killed. My house burnt down. I was fired from a, a job of six years. And my oldest daughter um, turned her own ways to drugs and alcohol in terms of coping with that death of her, of her father. Following all of that trauma, trauma and that tragedy, I think for me, the most tender, uh, merciful experience I had 
of God following all of that had much to do with the death of my second daughter, which actually happened in 1993. But yet at the time of her death, um, because of my addiction, I did not acknowledge anything having to do with her. I did not acknowledge her gender. I did not acknowledge her birth. Um, I just simply had the professionals and the doctors to basically do away with her. And uh, it was due to an accident that I was involved in um, as a result of my drinking and driving that basically aborted her life prematurely. And I went through the next, from 1993 to about 2009, um, having very little conscious thought about that experience and the impact that it may have had on me. And not long after my, not long after my salvation, I was actually at a church and a group of women came to speak from an organization called Hope, I believe it was called Hope Pregnancy, which was a pro-life organization. And she approached me about coming and participating in a 13-week Bible study based, uh, I think it was called uh, Forgiven and Free. And at the time, I was resistant to it because it was primarily for women who had consciously chosen abortions. I had not, honestly, I hadn't looked at my situation as consciously choosing that, but nevertheless, I did have the the ramifications or the feelings that that's indeed what I had done as a result of my uh, drinking. And I had not, obviously had not forgiven myself. So on some level, I went ahead and I agreed that, yes, I fit that category. Therefore, yes, I will participate in this program. And Subsequently, I did, and um, throughout the program, they also taught me how to pray in the Spirit, and as a result of doing so, we got to a place where we were asked to pray in the Spirit and ask the Lord what our children, what their names were, as well as what their genders were. Now, let me back up just a minute, because prior to this uh, invitation to this program, my son and I had relocated to a, a new townhouse. And at the, time of the, at the time of the move, we had moved, and this is going to sound very simplistic and it's going to not seem related, but I, I promise you I will connect it and it will relate. But following the death of my husband, um, we had adopted a little kitten that had been somehow, I don't even remember how it came to us, but in the process of adopting this kitten, um, my son named it and initially he named it Noah. And one day we took Noah to the vet and learned that Noah was not Noah, but actually Noel. <laughs> And in the, <laughs> and so we're like, oh, okay, so we have a Noel for a cat. And so the cat, you know, had stayed with us for about, I don't know, we'd gotten her when she was about six or eight weeks old. And then subsequently we make this move. And I make this move to this new townhouse with the understanding that they did not have a pet policy. Therefore, there was no challenge to having this cat with us. However, the day that we went to move in, we learned the quite the opposite, that not only did they not, they did have a pet policy. And it was that they had no pets in their policy. And so we were forced, we had two weeks to to get rid of this cat. And for whatever reason, based on all the trauma, based on all the loss at that time, that cat became incredibly, or I would say, unusually important to me. And And my attachment was unusually tight, I guess you'd say. And so when we were having, when we had to find a new home for that cat, my grief did not seem to make sense to me. It, it was as though I was grieving something huh, a lot larger than a cat. And none of it made sense to me because this has now been about, this would have been, you know, about a year and a half after my husband had passed and my first husband. And so 
I remember one night just talking to the Lord and I was praying and I was, you know, comforting my son because he too was upset. But I said, Lord, there's something about this that's not right. I, I don't understand why my grief seems so intense and so deep. And then it was subsequently weeks after that prayer that I was then invited to participate in this forgiven and free for women and, and moms who had either aborted their children or lost them through abortion in some form or fashion. And so in the process of that, once I started going through that program, um, towards the end, when it came time for us to arrange a memorial for all of our children, um, the time came for us to pray and ask the Lord what the names were for our children. And in doing so, we would also learn the gender. Well, there was one woman in my class who had had eight losses. She had lost eight of her children, whether it be by choice or whether it was just through, you know, through abortion. And she can, and I, I really did not have a lot of confidence that I would be able to pray and, and know what the Lord was naming my daughter or my, ch- my child at the time. And this woman came back one week and she shared her story that she had been out someplace and she had seen the word miracles written on something. And she said the moment she saw this word, one by one, baby names started to appear in her mind that related to every single letter in that word. And the fact that the word was pluralized gave her eight names. And when I heard that story, I absolutely, something inside of me just opened up. My faith absolutely just exploded. And it wasn't, it wasn't long after that experience, days, maybe even hours, that all of a sudden the name of my daughter came to me. And the Lord told me that her name was Noel. And at the time that he explained to me that her name was Noel, I then also understood why my grief over the loss of that cat had become so intense because there was something about that cat and the bond that I felt towards it and the spirit. I know that some people debate whether or not animals have spirits, but there was just something about the cat's disposition that just drew me to it. And when the Lord finally made that connection for me, that that was why my grief was so intense. Well, about three days before the memorial, I felt the need, I wanted to come up with a middle name. And as kind of can be my case, you know, Lord gives me one name, I think I'll take over from there. <laughs> and so I, I proceeded to just name the middle name. And at that time, I thought I liked the, ten, the name Noel Grace. I was pursuing that name as her official name. And about three days before the memorial, the Lord took, put a check in my spirit. And he said, no, that's not her name. And I said, it's not? I said, if not, then what is her name? And he said, her full name is Noel Renee. And subsequently, I, was led, I felt led to go and look up the meanings of these two names. And the name Noel means the gift, which is appropriate. At Christmas, we hear the word Noel quite a bit. And it, at least the, the interpretation I was given um, was her name, the gift. But the name Renee meant reborn. So my daughter began to represent the gift reborn. Also, at that moment, I, ju- I felt not only did I feel this incredible love of God, but I felt the incredible release of forgiveness. And not only just God's forgiveness, but also my daughter's forgiveness and my own. So would that be forgiveness? To be clear, you're saying forgiveness uh, of you, forgiving you, giving Sarah grace. Okay. For cutting her life short? as well as receiving compassion for myself at the time 
for, you know, for number one, having been addicted and having not been able to, to reach out for help for that, you know, condition. Um, and then living with the guilt of how that, how my addiction played a part in her life and in her death. What was more important for me was what happened in the following week. So after her memorial, after we had her memorial and all the women shared, a week later, I was on my way someplace and I, I think it was a Casting Crown song that came on and there was a line in the song that said something about you, you, have, you have a new name. And I remember hearing that line and I had, I had previously heard somebody had given a message that mentioned a scripture that talks about that when we become a new creation, we also receive a new name. And in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit speak, and, he, and it said, this is why her name was not Noel Grace, because Grace is your new name. Because when I was born, my given name was Sarah Marie. But when you look up, and I, and I don't mean any offense to any listeners, but the, the way I was given the interpretation was that, the, that my name Marie came from the root Mara. And in the scriptures, the river of Mara was a bitter stream until, until the branch, until the tree was placed in it and it was made sweet, right? So what I believe the Lord was sharing with me is it because if you also look at my first name, Sarah, um, in the Hebrew, it means princess. And so by combining my former name, it meant princess of bitter. And given all the traumas and the loss in my life, that's exactly what I had become. And so I believe that it was the gift of God's grace, literally, to rename me. And he made it very clear to me that when I went and I legally changed my name to Grace, it was not to be my middle name. He made it very clear to me to combine the two names as if to say there is no space. It is all grace. And so for me, he marked, I believe he marked that experience with regards to not only my daughter's death and my addiction, because I had, I had subsequently come into recovery in 2002 and praise, to, praise God, I have been sober for now 17 years, clean and sober with no relapse. And that, you know, coming into recovery in 2002, I did not yet meet Christ until 2008. However, it just proves to me that he was carrying me until I met him face to face. As you are talking about trauma, having multiple traumas, clearly um, having an impact, you have touched on lots of things that, you know, maybe in a, a part two interview, we would expound upon because you've touched on, on dissociation that happens um, when you are a multiple trauma sur uh, survivor. And, and you talked about um, the issue of bitterness and how it affects um, your ability to be resilient through it. And then you talked about the grace that was extended to you um, through God's specific. And what, what I have a question about for our listeners is, what would you say to someone? Because I see, a, a, what would you say to someone who you know is being held up, having their freedom and their liberty as a result of being a trauma survivor, held up because of bitterness. I see that often. I see it, it manifests um, in physiological illness 
um, where someone originally maybe just had, you know, some emotional mental illness and then it expands into that. I have seen it um, hold up even biblical, what, what for me, what I interpret as true prosperity, where uh, someone is, a, is basically a, a nice person. Um, they're a generous person, but they've got these one or two major areas where they just cannot seem to get a break or get ahead. And in therapy, I've helped them make the connection between a place where they're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness and that. So, so what would you say to someone who, who you are encountering, who may be listening and is harboring that bitterness? because of their trauma. Absolutely. And, you know, and I under, I'm not, obviously I'm not um, trauma informed in the psychological matters. Um, so I know that there's great impact on our brain functionings, um, on the hormones, on the chemicals, um, and just the neural pathways um, of what the impact that trauma has. Like, and I remember it explaining to, somebody explained it to me one day in terms of just like breaking an arm or breaking a leg, the brain actually experiences a break in it during a traumatic episode or traumatic event. And when it was explained to me that way, you know, much like healing of a bone in the arm or bone in the leg, there, there would also be a a process as well as a timing um, for that break to heal. But I would say more specifically to your question, for me, the scriptures that have supported this throughout my life has been, first of all, was Isaiah 61, where he says that as the servant of the Lord who was anointed to preach good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted and to give liberty to the captive and freedom to the prisoner. But as it goes on down, it says he will also give joy for the morning and he will also give, he will give beauty for the ashes. And then if you also kind of travel over to third John one and two, where he says, be prosperous and in good health, just as your soul prospers, So I would relate to your question from my own experience in that my judgments, my conclusions, the decisions I made in those moments of trauma, I believe got lodged in my soul, in the way I thought, in the way I believed. And because if every decision becomes a belief, because obviously if I'm deciding on something, I'm believing something. And so if that, until I came to an understanding that I could make a new decision, I operated on the previous decision. And then my will followed it and my emotions followed it. And so what I believe, when I look at those scriptures in tandem, because first of all, I believe that Isaiah 61 is really all about God, biblical justice. It is the heart of God, what he wants for each and every one of us. He wants us to be liberated. He wants us to be and to walk free. And he wants us to allow him to bind up that broken heart. And I believe that for me, the forgiveness comes when I can reach that place where I can make a new decision about what I believed about myself and what I believed about the world and life and God himself. Because knowing that I played an active role in my daughter's death I made the decision that I did not deserve God's grace. I didn't deserve his love. I didn't deserve to ask for anything because after all, he had given me the greatest, one of the greatest gifts. He had given me life. 
And he, he also gave me the life of my daughter to birth. And because of other choices I made, be it consciously or unconsciously, it nevertheless, it resulted in her death. But I knew nothing about mercy either. And I didn't know how to, I didn't even know how to extend it to myself, let alone anyone else. And so I would say, so that what if, would you go ahead? No, I would say that if somebody I was going to ask you, what were you going to say? What would you say was one of the major impetus that helped you make that connection? It was, yes, I, I know exactly what it was. I held a belief, or I should say an unbelief, that God was a just God, that God was not justice. There was no justice in the kingdom. There was no justice in the world. And because I didn't believe in justice, that meant that all I could ever experience would be injustice. And because I had chosen what I had chosen that affected my daughter's life and her subsequent death, to me, I had committed the ultimate of injustice. And so by me making the decision that God was not a just God, I had to, I had to, I went through life experiencing that reality, not because it was true, but because it was part of my reality. It was the reality I was believing. And when the time came and he proved himself, God proved himself to me. And when he proved to me that he was a just God, all of my experiences began to change and I could no longer believe that lie. And so it, 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 it's interesting to me because oftentimes we are, we are told, we are taught both implicitly and explicitly that the walk of faith is one of um, almost this mindless being that, okay, yeah, I, I might send up a few words of, of, of request. Um, I might plead with, you know, the man upstairs, and I'm using all of these phrases on purpose. Because I hope that someone is list, that's listening to this hears has, has some some sense of res, resonating with what they're hearing. So you have all of these um, unfortunate teachings. I'll just say that to, to be brief. Um, that teach us that um, we in no way ultimately um, have real uh, impact. Our prayers don't have an impact. But what I recently was reading somewhere was as much as we would like to debate as to whether or not our prayers change God's mind or whether or not his sovereignty means that, you know, we're, we're just practicing having a conversation. No matter what, where you land with that, when it is all said and done, there is a place inside of each of us that yearns to connect to some sense of um, belonging, uh, some sense of being covered, or protected, and being helped, most importantly, when we're in trouble. And whether the trouble happens because we make poor choices or not, the one thing that is clear that I oftentimes like to remind even the individuals is I am reminded that indeed I do still have a choice to decide how I'm going to respond, but belief is a response. Sure. But one of the things I had had to also learn, both in my PTSD recovery as well as my trauma therapies, and that was that although there were times that I made choices and I, I might have said they were poor choices, one of the things that I learned about trauma is that trauma was not as much impacting my choices as much as it was impacting my capacity 
to make a choice. And so with with a limited capacity, and I think of this very literally, as a chef, obviously, I measure everything. And so if I have eight ounces of liquid, but yet I need 16 ounces of that, then if my measuring cup only holds eight ounces, I'm either going to have to repeat and pour, or I don't have the capacity to measure 16 ounces. And so for me, a lot of my quote unquote poor choices centered around the level of the capacity that I had to even make a choice. And so there's a, there's a, a survey out there, I think it's called the ACER survey, and it talks about in your childhood between the ages of, you know, one and 18, you know, how many traumas had you experienced? And on a scale of one to 10, it will rate you. And in my experience, my rate was a seven. So in essence, that's, that implied that from one to seven of my capacity was taken up by trauma that had not been resolved yet, leaving me there for maybe three points, seven, eight, nine, and 10 to operate and function in this life that really requires a full 10. And so what I realized was when, when that belief, or I should say that unbelief, you know, because I can either believe something wrong about God, and therefore it's an unbelief, not believe in the truth, or I believe the truth in, in a, maybe in a wrong, in a wrong fashion. And so for me to believe that God was unjust is no different than saying he was, he's not a just God. When that unbelief came up and I was able to face it for what it really was and say, do I believe that God is a just God? I may not always understand his methods, but having grown to always, always trust his motives, his motive is always love. And just as a child doesn't always understand a, a parent's methods for discipline, if that child can trust that parent's love, then they know that whatever is happening, it's happening and it's motivated by love. And so I would say to that listener, I would say, be gentle with yourself, first of all, as you go through trauma recovery, because if your capacity has been impeded by the traumas, then your choices are limited in some respects. And as the capacity grows, then the ability for better choosing will also grow. But I would say as far as forgiveness, we've heard also that forgiveness is an act of will. Well, again, if my mind has made a decision to believe something false about myself or others or God, then any act of my will, it's almost as if until that unbelief was identified, that un- by me facing that unbelief and declaring it as such, that it, it was an unbelief, it was a false, um, it was a false truth. It was all, it was as though that in itself is what let go of me rather than me having to let go of something else. The forgiveness became a byproduct of facing the truth. He says, seek the truth and the truth will set you free. When I sought the truth and said, God, are you a just God? And he then subsequently put me through a process to prove to me that he was just. Then that truth is what set me free and the forgiveness I w- it was easy to let go of then, forgiven and free. I think that that's also why it's really important for people who are survivors of trauma to be connected with the support systems necessary to, that will enable them to be able to identify where they're stuck, whether it is at a, at a you know, whether it's at a place of false 
believes or it is at a place of, you know, unforgiveness, um, whether it's a place of decisions, wherever you're stuck, being surrounded by healthy, spirit-filled resources is paramount because as you pointed out, one of the biggest issues is having a lack of capacity to even know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't even recognize where the gaps are or the pieces are missing. You just know that that you're broken and that there's a thousand pieces scattered on the floor and you do not know where to begin to pick them up. And so as we you know, kind of come to a wrap up here. Two two scriptures came to mind. Just the Psalm nine, I think it is in verse nine, that talks about the Lord being a shelter for the oppressed and a refuge in a time of trouble. I think oftentimes when we're in trouble, because we have in um embraced um a faulty belief system, if you will, we have been worn down um sometimes by the lack of proper support. We do not realize that just because trouble comes doesn't mean that God ceases. Rather, he is actually in that trouble, giving you exactly what you need to not be consumed. And the scripture also says that it's by his great mercies that we're not consumed. And then in Isaiah 40, 43, it says, um, talks about the, the part of when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. And so it's important that when we are in trouble, also known as trauma, that we do our best, whatever our best is, though, it's always going to be sufficient because it's not us that have to do the heavy lifting. But recognizing just that he's with us um, in, in, in that trouble, he's with us in those flood waters making sure that those traumas do not entirely consume us so that that good work that he began in us can be completed. Is there a final thought that you would like to leave with our listeners as we wrap up? Yeah, I I would say the final thought is that this is a very, very real temptation, I believe, during times of trauma and even in the recovery. Because as you mentioned, I do believe recovery happens best in healthy relation whether that be to God or to others. Um, But I do know that the one temptation I constantly had throughout each and every traumatic event I had, and that was it was easier for me to blame God and turn away from him rather than turn towards him. Because again, I was making decisions that it was him that was causing these things to happen. And so for me, the the final thought is, as hard as it is, and I remember having um, a very, very, very dear friend of mine, dear sponsor, she said, you know, she said, it's not going to help you to be angry at your best solution. And it, was, and it was God that I was angry at. And yet God was the source of every strength and every ounce of power I was ever going to need to get through that. So, if, so I say, if you're afraid of the dark, if you're afraid of the dark, don't disconnect yourself from the light. Amen. Well, again, I thank you so much. This has been absolutely wonderful. I so appreciate your time and your trust and um, hope and pray that those who are listening are indeed enriched and helped one step further on their journey towards healing and recovery. Thank you so much. You're You're welcome. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Ladies, I love this conversation. This was very 
incredible. Sarah Grace and Tawana, I'm so grateful you two ladies had the opportunity to know each other prior to this um, this afternoon, because I do think that you two formed a relationship, but you have, I, I believe it's a God connection. Um, so anyway, I, I really thank both of you. And of course, Sarah Grace, your story is amazing. I've heard some of it. I know the listeners are going to be immensely blessed. Your authenticity for so many that I know that are dealing with bitterness from trauma, that want to turn to blaming God for why things happen in their lives and have been bound up because of it. So mm-hmm. I really think this is a freeing. This will be an incredible freeing, like Tawana said, a healing that will transpire through this podcast today. So again, listeners, I want to uh, encourage you to to share this podcast. Um, we will have an episode 23 tab and all the information on these two ladies on our website at www.alteredstories.org. And of course, our podcast is out on numerous platforms. You'll have links to all those as well. So I just ask if you're blessed by this, bless others and share it. I mean, that's the point of why Sarah Grace has given her time. That's why Tawana gives her heart everything for what she's doing in mental health the area of recovery and healing too. So in closing, I just want to thank all of you for your prayers as always, your support. And until the next show, remember, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a new nonprofit evangelistic talk show for women. Our ministry is located in Overland Park, Kansas. And if you enjoyed listening to today's show, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of everyday women too. So why don't you share the link to our podcast on your social media? And we welcome your feedback. So let us know what you think. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories. We welcome your tax-exempt financial donations. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, log on to our website, alteredstories.org. That's alteredstories.org.